Uh, oh, wow, there we go, yeah. Yes. All in. All in has been our theme. And uh, I've had a chance to use John the Baptist. I've mentioned it's been, it's going to be the focus for the first three weeks. After this, take a little bit of break. We're going to be hearing from a different few others sharing in the coming weeks. And then I pick back up five weeks leading into Easter, actually March. And I'm going to push into the study of John and, and just watch how he had to wrestle with his identity and with God and, and try to learn from that and get us ready for the Easter season. But uh, I don't want to rush past this moment because I, I truly believe there's a, a lot of life in what we're about to share here. Uh, I want to start, though, by reading from uh, John 1. John, is, John 1, the first chapter of John, may be uh, some of the most, I, mean, I hesitate to call it the greatest chapter in the Bible, but if you were to consider what chapters stand out, uh, it certainly holds its own with any. In many ways, John 1 is a New Testament mirror of Genesis 1. Watch how it begins. Watch the panoramic movement of God. Watch how God goes from the outside, from ages past, where there was no time, entering into time, and then scoping it out beyond time. Watch the movement of the scripture just in the first five verses of the opening chapter of John's gospel. In the beginning, you recognize that immediately, don't we? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For all of us who are here, for all of us who are listening to this word, for all of us who are connecting right now at the live stream, we're all together in this moment. And John 1 is speaking to us. Do we see how the word with no beginning was life and how that life became light and the light was the light of men and it shone in the darkness and the darkness was unable to overcome it. That's the, the sort of panoramic exposure that's going on here. And, and what's amazing is that as God opens up the gospel with this, this expansive description, all of a sudden, as it hits the sixth verse, it narrows down very tightly. And we're introduced, in a sense, into an account of one man. And it's the man we've been looking at. Look what it says in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about this light, about the light that all might believe through him. His purpose was that all might believe through him. His job was to show people the way to the true light. He was not the light, verse 8, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, every man, every woman, was coming into the world. John's the vehicle of introduction. Now we shift back to Matthew's account. And again, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, and you just want to follow my hand out there. Matthew 3, verse 4. Now John, we're, we're told, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Talked about that. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They came out. Remember we mentioned about how the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, when he was in the wilderness. And he shoots out of the Judean wilderness like a spiritual comet. 
And he started challenging people like a prophet of old to be, get themselves ready for the coming of the promise of God. And he, he started challenging them to open up their hearts and change their ways. He says, you need to be baptized under repentance. Make a change in light of what God is about to do. Open yourself up. That's how we got the name John the Baptist, by the way. Because people would say, are you talking about John, the one who's baptizing people by the Jordan? Yes, that John, John the baptizer. And that's what he was doing. And it says that, in, and look at verse six, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The common people responded to his message to such a degree that the religious leaders felt compelled to understand it. Jerusalem leadership did not usually come to the, to the Judean wilderness, but because this was such an amazing thing that was happening and the people were just coming from all over the land to hear John and many were being baptized, they felt they needed to go minimally to check it out because there was so much energy around it. When they came, verse 7, but when he saw, John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The language was startling. Caught everyone off guard. The field was being completely leveled. And listen to the language, listen to the appeal. You also, you who would stand on the outside and criticize and evaluate, you also need to hear what God is doing. You also need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And, and then verse 9, do not presume to say to yourselves, he already knows what they're thinking. Do not presume to say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these very stones to raise up children for Abraham. John was himself the son of a priest. He understood their worldview and their presuppositions. And so he hit them with force, right? Basically what he's saying is don't think that you can hide behind your pedigree and your bloodlines. I tell you, I tell you they are not enough. Don't be proud. Don't be so proud that you missed this moment or the one that is about to welcome him because I tell you that God is not impressed. He can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. The time has come for you to humble yourselves, to humble your hearts ahead of what God is about to do. For I tell you, verse 10, even now the ax is being laid to the root of the trees and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, and that includes you, that includes you, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water under repentance. But the one who is coming after me, he's mightier than I am. In fact, whose sandals I'm not worthy even to carry. But he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now this is a statement, right? I tell you that the one who follows me is the one. And he is far greater than me, mightier. He's closing in. I can feel it. He's near. Listen. And he said it to the whole crowd. I'm not, I'm not even worthy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am not even worthy to carry his shoes. It would be an honor to carry his shoes. His sandals on my fingers would be an honor. I tell you, I am baptizing you with water. 
he shall do more. He will baptize you with spirit and with flame, like a holy flame. And the very real presence of God will begin to burn in you. I tell you, like the, like the very bush that burned in front of Moses, so will come the presence of God into your midst. Do you understand what God is about to do? Listen, all of you, his winnowing fork, verse 12, is in his hand. He will clear his flesh, threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He had a second image he was using. You've ever seen, it's almost, uh, a winnowing fork is like a pitchfork. It has prongs, of, prongs that are used to lift up the wheat, throw it into the wind, and then the chaff blows off, and what is left, right, is the wheat itself, right? The, the grain settles down and is collected, but the other is just burned away. It was a great image. It was a powerful image. Do we, do we see the imagery that he's using? He's using two things, the axe and the winnowing fork, both, both of them. He said, basically what he's saying is, it is, my, it is decision time. Which one of you will be open? Which side are you on? Um, God is on the move, and you're either going to get it or you're not. It's up to you. That was the word. Then the Bible switches. Verse 13, a shift. Then the moment comes. You see it? Then Jesus came from Galilee. Now it begins. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, and he came to be baptized by him. And many people have pondered this for generations. Because, oh, by the way, there was nothing to indicate that John had ever, ever seen Jesus, met him, or had identified him. Even though in a certain way they were relatives, there was not a sense of connectedness. John has no recognition of him in this moment. Um, but it is the moment when the public ministry of Jesus officially begins. Jesus is now 30 years old. John of similar age. John's been preaching now for six months about the coming. Because when the word of the Lord, when the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, he began preaching. He's been preaching now. It's going to happen. All of a sudden, Jesus makes the journey from the north, from Galilee, almost 60 miles down to where John would have been in the Judean wilderness near Jerusalem and the Jordan. But he comes to him for a purpose. He comes, Jesus comes to be baptized. We might ask, well, why did Jesus need to be baptized under repentance? He had nothing to repent of. What's the purpose? What's the point? For Jesus, this is the beginning of a movement, a movement that will take him ultimately down the streets of Jerusalem, carrying a cross. He understands this. He knows what, he's, what is going on. He understands very clearly from the beginning the cup that he will have to drink. He's under no illusions. He knows that the baptism he will ultimately have to endure, as he will later tell to his ambitious disciples. He says, the baptism that I will be baptized with, he understood it was the baptism of his suffering and separation from the Father. He could see that one coming, but that was still a few years ahead. For Jesus... This marks the beginning of the journey that will take him to the cross, through the cross, and into life, and secure for us the path that was previously impossible. Create 
the ability for us to connect to what was before a, an unwalkable uh, um, gap between God and humanity, God himself as the Son will bridge the gap through the cross and the verification of its sufficiency will be the resurrection. That is why Paul will later say, if there is no resurrection, then the cross is meaningless. Everything depends on Jesus rising. If he rises, we too rise. There is the promise of life, not just in this present life, but also to come. Depending on where we are in our lives, either of those things can have great meaning to us. His presence in our life can be significant and meaningful at a profound level. But there are times, listen, loved ones, when the promise that this is not the end and this body, which cannot last, will ultimately be renewed in a very different way in the very presence of God is secured in Christ. Jesus knows his moment is now beginning. He will do his baptism for a reason. For him, it's the start. For John, listen, John, this is also a life-altering moment because it represents the moment that he has been spending years preparing for. We gotta understand it. For Jesus, it's the beginning of his ministry. For John, it's like the very purpose of his ministry is now culminating right before his eyes. His, his, the, the very purpose of his work is now right in front of him, upon him, standing there in front of his eyes. He knew from his day of his birth, the Bible says, that there was a calling in his life. His parents were aware of the fact that he had been born in a way that was unique. And he was aware of that. He understood, he understood his purpose. He was, he was called to prepare the way. That was his purpose in life. It's why he pulled away from culture and society. And now, as he had gone out to preach, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Now he had come. And there, I try to imagine that moment. And many people have, or as the years have gone by, pictures and, and people have written about it. What was, his, what was it like the first time that John and Jesus looked at one another? In front of the Jordan. John may have even been standing in the Jordan. Jesus possibly on the shore. And in that moment when he looked at him and peered into his eyes, and the other appeared in his. They both understood. For Jesus, the beginning. For John, the moment. And look what happens. The singular moment of his lifetime. What does it say Jesus asked to be baptized by him? Here, it must have seemed incredible. And even for someone as perceptive as John was, it must have caught him off guard, the emotions of the moment. First, to, to recognize something there, you're him, you're him, you're him, you're here. And then to hear the words of Jesus, it would have been hard for him to initially process because Jesus had come and said, I need, will you baptize me? And John's processing that through. Look what he says. John would have prevented him. No, 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 no. I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized of you, not, not you by me. I, you are the one that should baptize me. You are, far, you are far greater than me, right? You're the one. John, without knowing anything about Jesus, almost instinctively peers into his eyes and intuitively apprehends that he is in the presence of one who is greater than he is. 
Almost like when Peter says years later, when Jesus is saying, I want to wash your feet. And he goes around the table in the stunned silence, out of their arguments as to who was the greatest of them all. And he washes their feet and he gets to Peter and he says, and Peter pulls back. Not washing my feet. If anybody's going to wash, I can wash your feet, but you cannot wash my feet. Jesus says, if you do not let me wash your feet, you are not of mine. This is powerful. Very similar, right? You're not going to baptize. I'm not baptizing you. You can baptize me, but I don't, I, I, I should not be baptizing you. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all that is right, all righteousness. No, you need to let this be. It is the right thing to do. And finally, John relents and he consented. Jesus, as the representative of humanity, the second man, the last Adam, is accepting the mantle of our human condition. He will bear as the Lamb of God our sins once and for all. And this baptism symbolizes all that he has come to do for us, the full identification of Jesus with us, the utter humility of God. You see that? The humility of God to submit himself as our representative. And Jesus was baptized, verse 16, and immediately he went up from the water. Again, try to imagine our man's mind's eye. Jesus is baptized. He comes up from the water and the water is streaming down him. And then two phenomena occur. John had not, would never forget it. Whoever else was there would not forget it. Because it says in that moment, there was something like a dove. The spirit of God descended like a dove. In historically, people have pictured a dove flying onto Jesus in the moment of his baptism. Whether it was a literal dove or something that was like a dove that came upon him that you could see visually, it, it appeared on Jesus. And then on top of that, simultaneously, there was a voice that caught everyone off guard. Where did that come from? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The two phenomena, visual and verbal signs. Okay, here's how I'd like us to take this. There's a couple of things that deeply connected in terms of being all in for God. One of them I just need to put as a beginning sort of thing to say because it's important. Remember the importance of baptism. To anyone who is serious about following Jesus, we should not pass by this too quickly because if Jesus submitted to baptism as an adult, who among us is exempt? If he who was without sin did it, is there any of us who really should not? Um, I want to encourage everyone, anyone who is, a, who is a believer, who has come to faith in Jesus, who has not been baptized, to be baptized. And if you actually want to be baptized in our church, it's not that hard. You just go through the, the journey class. In fact, we have one starting up in February as part of our larger orientation. One of the things that's discussed is baptism, and you can sign up for that and be baptized. Um, in my mind, it's not only a statement of affection for Jesus, it's a public declaration, and it's also a point of obedience. For Jesus said, the one who, is, who believes and is baptized. It's a statement of, of, of before others and community that I am committing myself to follow Jesus in his death and burial and his resurrection. 
one of the few symbolic things we're commanded in Scripture to do. But there's a second thought, and this one really connected, and I want to submit it to you. And that is this. We too must begin, right, be open to bending our approach. Because there are going to be times when the Lord is going to stretch us out of our comfort zone, and I'll add to that, and ask us to align with his purposes in a spirit of humility, a surrendered humility. What, I, what, am I, what am I talking about? Okay, for a moment, John thought Jesus' request was inappropriate. Do you know why he thought it was inappropriate? He's taken aback. Why? Not because he thinks it's below him. Why? Because he thinks it's above him. He feels, and I understand totally well, he feels unworthy. I am not worthy to baptize you. And it got me thinking that there are times when what we struggle with is not about our pride. I get it. There are times when we do. But there are times when what we're really struggling with is our sense of unworthiness. Maybe some of us really struggle with that. Some of us have that right now. It could be connected to the shame of our past. It might be a lack of confidence that goes back to our earliest exposure points. Some of us might have, it's possible, a self-image in which we struggle with real feelings of inferiority. You know, we, we, we are aware of our flaws, and some of us are very aware of our grooves. We have, we have spiritual, we have habits, we have vices, we have issues. We have areas of real struggle. And even though we believe in Jesus, and some of us may profoundly love him, that sense of inadequacy or unworthiness or if I can say it in a different way, because some of us also struggle in this regard, that we, some of us have, and it goes back to things that we may be aware of and sometimes we're not. Some of us carry with us deep-seated insecurities. I'm talking about deep things. And it shows up when the heat is on in life. It shows up in our critical relationships. It comes out of us. And these places where the Lord is trying to, over time, heal, yes, that's what he does, the gentle healer comes to touch. Any infection in our life, he, will heal, he can heal it. He will heal it. Heal it. If we, we, there may be certain things we carry with us for a long time. It's true. And it may be that we will always have a struggle. I am not saying that, that there are some things that that will not be the case. There are some things so deep into us that barring a miracle of God's like removing it, the real healing is going to occur a little bit over time and we get better and we grow stronger. And actually, it becomes to us a source of grace in our lives that causes us to, to rely on him. In this case, so what I'm trying to get at is that a lot of times in these places, it's our damaged selves that pulls back from God. Some of us, it's a lack of confidence in our ability to follow through. It, it, it's that moment where we're challenged to trust God's word over our lives that um, if he's calling us to something that we need to work with him, I, I look at that and I think there are going to be times when God's going to stretch us past our comfort zones. In a lot of ways, that's what he's doing with me and all of us here at Reardon. I mean, it's a stretching of faith and trust 
to push beyond something that is comfortable for us. It involves risks and it touches in different insecurities. And one of the things I've come to understand, and it's hard to say this, but all of us are different and something that you might be, you've heard me say it very secure in, I might have very strong sense of weakness. And we have to always be careful around being too hard on the other. Because it's not always easy to know where someone else is struggling just because it's easy for us. We might have an area that's very hard for the other person that we can handle very easily. I think a lot of this is connected to sometimes, some of us struggle a lot with insecurity and, and, and feelings of, of, you know, that are deep inside of us. And there are going to be times when the Lord is going to challenge us to, I mean this in the best way, he's going to call us to work with him in ways we didn't envision and where we might even push Pat back and say, Lord, not that way, not that way. And we, there, there might be times where God will push into something that we would have preferred not to do, right? And he's going he's gonna to kind of move us in that direction. And it can be scary, and it can be hard, and it, it could be intimidating to, to hear the Lord's voice calling to us. Because you know what he's sometimes going to say? Let it be, what did he say to John? John says, you can't, I can't do this. Jesus says, yes, you can. Let it be so. Um, the older version says, suffer it to be so. You need to work with me. Let me do, let's do this. Work with me here. Work with me here. You need to trust me. Here's what he was saying. Basically, he was saying, I need you to let me lead you by letting you lead me. You want to talk about a kingdom paradox. There you go. There it is. I need you to submit to my leadership by allowing you to lead me into the place that you're uncomfortable to go. That's a trust issue. God wants us to trust him with our weaknesses, our flaws, our past, our fear, our insecurity. It's in there. We all have something. The last, don't fight me, Jesus is saying. Don't fight me on this. Don't fight me on this. Trust me. Work with me. Then I was thinking, are there areas where God is calling us to yield? Even our sense of limitation or damage? Sit with that for a moment to align with a purpose that is different than the one we envisioned? Is the, is the Lord saying something there? I think of our damaged selves at times, yes. Can we work with him? Can we move with him? Can we trust him even when it doesn't make sense or seem appropriate? Surely you could find somebody else. No? Can we say in this area of our life, I don't know what it is. I know what mine is. A couple of them. Your will be done. Can I surrender it all to Jesus? Surrender my freedom, my liberty, my will to the kingdom? <sighs> Last thing, the one that hit, resonated most with me was this. There are going to be times when we're going to need to wrestle with life questions and be open to seasonal adjustments. Okay, I'm going to give it my best shot. Listen to this. We forget John's humanity. We forget John's humanity, right? I mean, this is the moment he's been preparing for, waiting for. It represents, as far as we can tell, his entire purpose for his life has been wrapped up in this one thing to introduce Messiah. He is the forerunner. It has been his consuming passion. He's given everything to it. And now the moment arrives and he's staring it in the eyes 
He's looking at Jesus. He's touching him. Hears his words. Watches as he comes out of the water. In some way, the heavens open and the word of God echoes. And, and then as Jesus rises up and starts to walk away, it's not like they have this long discussion. It's, it's, it's one of those interesting moments where what is described is Jesus rises and begins to move on. Like there's, and John is there. And that, that picture of John just standing, because Jesus starts his walk. He's got a three-year walk to Calvary. But as, listen to me, as Jesus walks away, you understand what's happening? John's life, as he knows it, has come to an end. What, what do I do now? The one purpose I had has been accomplished. What? <laughs> and his life, his work is complete. He's prepared the way. He's, listen, he's a man at 30, his early 30. He does it <laughs> with no sense of what he's supposed to do next. Maybe some of us go, that's me, right? <laughs> or maybe we're at a different place in our life where a season has shifted on us and we don't know what to do next. His identity had been getting ready for Messiah. Now what? And it's going to get even more tested. We flash forward a few weeks ahead. There's going to come this moment where John is going to say to all the people who loved him and followed him, some of whom end up being Jesus' most intimate circle of disciples, he's going to say to them, and you, you're going to say, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's huge. Because they're all saying, John, you're the man. God's anointed you. You're the one. You're special. The Lord has been blessing you. God's called you. You know, we love you. We're devoted to you, right? And then there's going to come this moment where John is going to go, don't follow me anymore. Follow him. All of you, follow him. It's powerful. Um, I look at this and I go, sometimes letting go of areas where we have found identity is so incredibly difficult and so scary. Uh, many of us will know, yes, this is the Lord's will and still struggle with it. It's so hard to let go sometimes. If we feel our identity is, is connected to something. Again, I tried to imagine how hard this was. Because some people say, oh, John, you know, he knew he was, Jesus was the son of God, so it was easy. No, he was a human being. It was hard. What do I do next? My, this, is, well, this is my purpose, so I don't even know who I am anymore. And you're going to see, he is going to struggle with his He's a great man and loves God, and he's going to struggle with his identity because he's not sure what to do. It's real. It's, uh, and remember this, and, I'll, and it, this, will be, this is where we'll leave it. In the end, you and I, we must always remember, and I know this was the word that God spoke over Jesus. The Father spoke this over the Son. But it's the word that the Son then speaks over to us in the name of the Father, if you will. For you are his beloved Son, and you are his beloved daughter. To those who have come to follow and love him, you, you must understand, we must understand where our real identity needs to lie always. We are his beloved son 
and we are his beloved daughter. You must hear the voice of the Lord. You are his beloved son, and you are his beloved daughter. Our identity needs to be there, right there, because the other things, we can lose them. We will, let, we will let go of everything. But that identity, it can not only shape us, it'll carry us all the way through. Do we understand that? How much that means? So on this first day that we've celebrated Jesus on a Sunday like this, in this way, launching this site here in this place, let us remember that day as a day when we were reminded to anchor our identity in the one who loves us and calls us my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And let's seek to live up to that, knowing there will be times when we will buckle and, and not always get it right, but you're still his beloved son and his beloved daughter. That's your identity. Everything else, let it go. It's secondary, core identity, one loved by God in Christ. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you so much. And even now as we get ready to close the service out with the song and um, our giving time and, and with the offering that we're just going to give unto you, Lord, and just focusing on the Reardon and all this good things that you're doing, I just, just want to ask that you would just be with us again as we close this out and just let this message resonate. Right now I pray for any of us here who may be feeling either inadequate bound up in insecurities, afraid, or have somehow tied our identity to things that cannot ultimately be relied upon or find ourselves in a season of transition. Whatever it is, God, I ask that you would send a wave of healing and courage into us to trust you and work with you. This is my prayer. Help us all to trust you and work with you. In Jesus, in your name, I pray this. Amen, God.